welcome to Conversations Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Sayo Nickerson. We hope that you will join Brandon, Victoria, and I as we aim to make sense of the past, age-old mysteries, and historical figures through mediumship, where we chat with beings or spirits on the other side who have a story to tell. If you are curious about history and our world and always wish that you could talk to someone from the past, then this podcast is probably going to be quite interesting for you. Prepare to be fascinated and intrigued. We certainly are. We never know where it's going to go, and we hope that you will come along for the ride. This week's episode has actually turned out to be one of my favorite ones um, because I was just listening to it and editing it. And it's about Japan, as you'll see. And I just found it really interesting. What did you think, Bren? It's probably one of my favorite ones, too. And it was was one where we were able to go back and forth and talk amongst each other um, and give our point of view on a lot of it. So... Yeah, I, I think really that's why it. I like it too, because yeah. it's kind of, it's a bit of a lively and deep discussion. And at the same time, the spirits that came through, like it was quite emotional as well. And I don't know, I just feel like I got a lot out of it on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a couple things, you know, we're, we're still um, working with the recordings and you know here we are with the phone because it's worked better than the microphones that we had but that being said there are a few kind of loud noises that I hope you can just disregard that happen throughout Um, the other thing too I want to say is that uh, when I edit it because when we're doing this live there's very long there's long periods of silence while Victoria is receiving information And so for the audio version, the podcast, it doesn't translate very well to just have these very long periods of silence. But when I was listening back to the edited version, I realized I probably, it was maybe cut a little too short. So it's a bit, you know, sped up. It might seem a little bit sped up, but I'm not cutting out. It's just more like the space in between. What do you mean sped up though? Do you mean like the the actual episode is short? Um, well, there's always that too, cause it's shortened from what, like say the YouTube version would be because that's like the original in yeah. full. Um, it's just more like I'll cut it because I'll be this big piece of silence, but then the silence between the speaking doesn't always match the tone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing just to like, it sounds sometimes like Victoria's speaking really quickly, but it's just because I've cut out a lot of the silence. And we should probably tell the audience that this episode was on post-war or post-atomic bomb um, Japan. And we had some amazing um, beings come in and give us their point of view, their, their take on what happened and um, how it affected them during and after. And it's, it's very powerful. And it was very loving, too. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of love in it. And a lot to teach us uh, as a human race as, uh, uh, to, to not make that mistake again. Yeah. And oh, and the other thing is that we do make reference to the first time we talked about the nuclear bombs in Japan. Because the very first time that the three of us got together and practiced to see if we could even, you know, kind of fulfill on this concept, that we just picked a time, Right. We just, what did we pick? We said Japan, World War II. Mm -hmm. Let's see if Victoria can tap into that. 
And it was actually a very also emotional reading. And it was about, uh, it was a Japanese soldier who came through and he had witnessed the bomb from afar and then talked a lot about how, you know, what everybody felt in that moment, all the feelings that came up and, and both Victoria and I started like crying at the exact same time because to me it just felt like this wave of sadness and, and that just kind of washed over me. And I think I kind of, and I think that was the same for Victoria. And, and I think it was a bit like that again today. So it's interesting that this, that particular period in time has come through for us twice now. And I think, and like we discussed in this podcast, it has a lot to do with where our world is at right now yeah. and the choices that we have to make together mm -hmm. as a human race. Um, yeah, I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. We really did. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Victoria had the idea that maybe we should try an ancestor of either Brandon or I, and we sort of thought, oh, well, my family's part Japanese. Who knows? We might get the North American sign. <laughs> but um, we thought that let's, let's kind of see where that goes, right? Yeah, it can really help um, doing a reading to have an emotional link through someone. So if I'm reading someone I've never met, it can be harder to create that connection. Whereas with Sayo here, it may be easier to find a strong connection with somebody. You mentioned before that you had your relatives were in touch with well, like, we the Shogun? We don't, shogun, want, we don't necessarily want Victoria to know any of that information beforehand. Oh, because because <laughs> I, I mentioned in passing and she's like, no, don't tell me anything last night. So Did um, you say those words? Uh, no, well, I don't know. Something I like, don't even know what you just said. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, good. So, we'll just see because... We could just say whoever has a very interesting life or something they want to share, right? Anyone who wants to tell a story. Yeah. So um, we'll let you do... I love how excited <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny with these because we never know where it's going to go. And as time goes on and we've done like about five of these now, I just realized that, you know, the, the historical side of it and... and the story that's been passed down is not necessarily what the souls themselves want to actually talk about. Often they don't even necessarily relate to that. They just have their own story and it could be just something completely personal or completely different. So um, yeah, it's just kind of exciting to see where it'll go. Yeah, and we have to learn to let go of control, really. Okay, so we'll just sit and wait and see what you do. <laughs> Slightly terrifying. Okay. So I feel like there are quite a few people there, but I'm trying to limit it down to one because otherwise the energy is going to get so confusing. Um, and maybe we could speak to more than one throughout this recording, but I just want to start with one. How do you choose? Good question. Because I feel like I can already feel a man and a woman either side of me, behind me. Um, Favoritism? <laughs> no. The man felt stronger, but I kind of want to bring the woman in actually. For now. Okay. She has a softer energy. Not that the man feels harsh or anything, but I feel to just start with the softer energy. Okay, so a woman. Okay, let's also specify that this is someone that Sayo can verify. Mm. Um, it's just better that way because then... We can try. We know that it's true. I don't know. I don't have a whole ton of info. Okay. I feel like there's a woman presenting herself to me and she feels like maybe she'd be in her like 40s and this doesn't actually have to mean that they died at that age 
I find that sometimes they come through as the age they want to present themselves as or want to be remembered by. Okay, what do you have to say? Okay, she feels like she, I'd say she passed around 80. I'm gonna try and describe her. She feels like she's got, um, I'd say a similar length hair to mine, but it's darker. She feels really beautiful visually. What's her energy like? Well, immediately she came through contrasting to the man who was there and she felt a lot softer and like there was more love coming through. And I don't necessarily know that she's here with a story. It feels more like she just wants to make her presence known, but I don't think she's the one with the juicy story to tell. <laughs> Is it a certain time period that you're seeing? 20th century for sure. I'm just trying to get like a gauge a year here. She definitely feels like she lived through some big world events. Did I ever meet her? Feels like it could be someone you just heard about, but someone who really wants you to know that they're there. Did she actually live in Japan or was she in the United States or Canada? I say she definitely lived in Japan, um, but she feels like she could be someone that was well traveled. Is it my great grandmother? She was famed for her beauty. Mm. And you never met her? Um, I think when I was one, she okay. did come from Japan when I was one. Okay. But I don't think I ever saw her again. It feels like it definitely could be. I'm not even being specific here, but how much do you know about her? Not a ton. Okay. I'm getting a sense that they, she feels like she came from a wealthy family or was eventually wealthy herself. There's something about her that feels like really well put together. Can't find the words. She's anyway. She's coming through like happy and loving. I feel like that's all she really okay. wants to say. To like to show me that she's supporting me. Yeah, and she's here, and she there's a sense that she's like the matriarch of the family, and she's kind of holding the space for people to come through now. Oh, cool. Did she by chance um, help Saya with her inspired thought of starting this podcast? <laughs> I feel like I'm hearing. Well, it wasn't all your own idea. Like, not to say that you took it from someone in this life, but yeah. Like, <laughs> any inspired action has been shown to you. Is that why she's here? I just see her with her arms out, and she's, like, really holding the space to, like, let people come forward. So I wonder if she's she's helping with these um, entities, well, not entities, uh, personalities come through. and in this recording or no any, any recording i'm wondering if she's where do you kind get of, that uh, sense from because i feel like you're picking up on something oh i i just thoughts coming to my noggin here <laughs> it doesn't feel like she's overseeing the whole thing but with this specific one it feels like she's got a big role important well thank you for being here okay thank you right now let's let the man in he feels like an older gentleman, he's presenting himself as not as young as she came through. And he's got dark hair, but there's like bits of gray in it. He feels like an important man, or that there's also a sense of like seriousness and urgency in the way he's coming through. It's like a man who wants to get down to business. He feels very like fast paced in the way that he's speaking. And I can't even really say what he's saying right now. Cause just, I feel the energy of the pace he's coming in at. Um, urgent, what's urgent? I don't actually feel like anything is urgent, <laughs> um, but maybe this is how he operated in this life. And I'm not seeing him in any kind of um, like service uniform or he's not presenting himself as like being in a war. Um, so I'm kind of gauge like an era here, but it, I'm seeing him more in like 
a business suit hmm. and someone who like had dealings with people and that's that urgency it's like the the city hustle kind of feeling and now i'm here in like kyoto kyoto yeah the city yeah do you know does this match anyone that you would know well, I'm thinking if it's a, in a business suit, it has to be like in the last century. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think any of my family lived in Kyoto. So it depends whether they're actually related to me or there's just somebody from Japan who's coming That's through. Who are you? Or someone who would have traveled there for business. Well, my grandfather, was, well, he was a doctor. And I, I don't think he was ever in a business suit. Okay. I don't think so. In a business suit, are you saying just... You're just smart. Just smart, okay. I mean, I say it's business suit, but that's what I like to see, but dress smartly. So this is like a more recent, like within the last hundred years, yeah. this person was around. Yeah. Briefcase. Feels like, I was going to say post-World War Two. I'd say that it is, because it feels like the energy has shifted. And I know when we recorded something before in Japan that we didn't, we didn't record it, did we? No. No. I remember the shift in energy post-atomic bombs, and I'm kind of feeling that now. Like, there's a, a different energy in him, more serious one. My grandmother's cousin, her husband, was like, a, owned a big company, and they live close to Kyoto. Okay. Do you have any other things you could verify? He wrote a book. Okay, wait, without telling me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you could ask him what it's called, because <laughs> I think I know. Okay. okay, let's just figure out why he's here, because it's interesting. He really, like, pushed to the front. Why are you here? Something about, like, I'm the only one who took this seriously. There's something in him about, like, needing to protect. And do you know this would have been post-war? Yeah. Okay. Um, So it feels like it's a needing to... There's, like, a scrambling because there's a fear underneath. There's a lot of fear that something bad might happen again and he needs to, like, protect the family or protect the business and, like, have things organised and sorted out. It's just so serious. And I feel like the reason he's here is to shed some light on post-war life in Japan, like how that affected people. And I'm, I'm a bit scared. I'm scared how emotional this is going to get. Really? Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> we can be emotional here. Yeah. And interesting that he came through. Okay, let's see if we can get him to like soften a bit and actually slow down. What are you scared of? Okay. Um, what cities were the bombs in again? Hiroshima? Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Yeah. Okay, so it feels like there's a fear that it could happen to Kyoto. Hmm. So this is immediately after? I'm going to say within 10 years. Maybe even five. Yeah. Makes sense. So five to 10 years later, the war's over. Yeah, I would think there'd probably be a, a huge trauma. Mm. He's probably dreaming of it. He's probably flashbacks. There's a lot of fear. PTSD. That. Yeah, he feels very stressed. What was his involvement in the war, if any. See if I show me. Honestly, it feels like he didn't really want to be involved in the war. And it feels like where that's, that's where all his panic came from. Just the energy of war. I want to say he wasn't really like this before. Okay, I'll see if he'll show me what he was like before. It feels like a young, excited man starting out and he has hopes. And it doesn't feel like his business is fully um, built yet, but he's hopeful. And it feels like somehow he managed to maintain that. I feel like a steady incline in his business. Okay, I feel like I want to bring someone else in now. I feel like he's just setting the scene of like, life was stressful after the bombs. And he's just portraying that. Right, is that all you have to say? 
I also feel like this stress led to a decline in his health. Like, like in my chest, I can feel like a, a tightening. Okay, who else? <laughs> well, something that, that's really interesting is post-World War II, they got into commercialism and industry and, well, business. And it, it was too also, it was too almost a um, military level of, like, it stressed them out to where people would die of heart attacks at age 35. Um, I mean, it's still happening today. I know that's happening all over the world, but Japan is kind of strict within their own business sense and business mind. And to the point I have a friend named Mako who had a heart attack in his 30s because he was so stressed with how much work he had to do. Mm. So I'm wondering if after post-World War II, that was one of the main shifts in their life. So, I mean, before it was, I think, quite different. Yeah, there feels like some sense of needing to fight not in the war, but after, to fight for, like, safety and making sure you have something. And when you were speaking there, Brandon, just about people having heart attacks young, I can really feel that. I can feel the stress. It's like this fight to climb to the top, and nobody even really knows what the top is or what it will give them. Seems like almost to be respected in the world again after this, you know, shameful defeat. Because that was a huge matter of national pride losing that war yeah and this all led i guess eventually to the big bubble that burst in what 89 or something yeah early 90s yeah okay we'll call someone else in but i don't think they're going to be part of your family it feels like there's a need to get emotional and i don't know why i'm just blocking it <laughs> but there's there's something because that fear and that um stress just feels like it's masking something and i'm trying to like pierce through to whatever it is that needs to come out and be said about this time. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> what? Mm. Feels like a woman who's like lost her child or children. Okay, let's just go with it, it's fine. Which is really interesting because all day today, I kind of woke up feeling sad and like I wanted to cry and I thought, is this just me? Like, I don't know what mm. there is. Um, and it did cross my mind, like maybe there's someone there who's already trying to come through and like I can feel that coming now. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so there's a woman, mm. so she lost her, her child in the bomb, Nagasaki. It's horrible. It's just like screams. And I know when we touched on this in the last one, it was like super emotional. Just I seeing. felt it again. Yeah. And there's no wonder you feel it because you're connected to it yeah. by blood. I mean, it's also just sad in general. It actually feels like this deserves a moment of silence. Like, I don't want to try and stop her from feeling something or, like, ask her loads of questions. It's like, just let her feel what she feels. But there has to be a reason she came along as well. Okay, she's bringing through an energy of feeling, like, broken and defeated. Okay, and I'm seeing here, it's like, the men were the ones who had to, like, hold everything together. So they went into, like, do mode because it feels like the women, they were feeling. They were emotional. And then there's this feeling in Japan that the men can't express that. So their way of moving through something is just by like building and creating, working. But like she wants people to know there's also this just deep, deep sadness for everything that happened and all the people and things that were lost and that these people should never be forgotten. It's like, okay, time has passed and she's with her child again now. Feels like it was a little boy. Do you know what? I think there was a boy and a girl. I think she lost more than one child. Where was she during the bomb? Mm. Okay. 
Like, show me the events of what happened. It's like terrifying, but needed, needed. Okay. I feel like her children were in school. She, I don't think she was with them. Somehow she managed to get somewhere safe, but also I feel like I could see her like covered in burns. And I'm not convinced she actually lived that much longer. Yeah, I would think she wouldn't live that much longer yeah. with radiation burns and yeah. poisoning. But enough time to like know that her kids are gone. I think in that moment when it happened, she knew they were gone anyway. But like enough time to like really feel that pain of losing them. And then she's saying like, I'm not the only one here with that story. And now I see like a whole room filling with people with the same story and it's so sad. Like they're all just appearing. And it's like, it's in a white room. But it's also this feeling like that all parents are reunited with their children now. And I'm hearing like remembering a lost city because that's it. those cities as they knew them were lost. Mm -hmm. And yes, they rebuilt, but it's what was there before was lost. Okay, any questions? Um, <laughs> when, I, when I went to Japan, I went and visited um, Hiroshima. That was one of the cities that were bombed. And um, uh, this woman came up to me, my friend Josh, and she said, do you wanna, she was a, a, a flight attendant um, for Japanese airlines. And she just saw us at the, at the um, we started just talking to her at the train station. And she said, um, uh, maybe tomorrow I can take you to Peace Park so I can show you some of our history. And what piece, do you know what Peace Park is? Yeah. Um, Peace Park, for those who don't know, is the epicenter of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. And what's still standing is uh, a couple of structures, but right above where the um, atomic bomb detonated, because it detonates above the ground. It's not fully together, but it's it's you can see the frame of this like kind the of dome. beautiful domed building. And um, so we went there and we went into the Peace Park Museum and it's different because I didn't have the emotional reaction that all these Japanese people did while I was there. They were, um, especially the woman that was showing us this, um, she was crying and um, the devastation that we saw from it, unless you're a madman, uh, you would never even think of doing this atrocity to anybody. I mean, there were children, children's shadows burned into the walls of co concrete walls and brick walls, um, uh, clocks that just stopped right on that time that the epicenter or the bomb hit. And what, what really surprised Josh and I were the amount of people that Japanese who were obviously not alive at the time, but they were crying walking through this museum. So even though it didn't happen to them, it really impacted them. So it's, it's a, it's a deep level catastrophe in humanity that shall not be repeated. It's, it's a, uh, if anybody goes there, they can see with a clear mind and clear eye as to what happens when something like this occurs, when war occurs, when, when, when we, we, we take up to battle lines instead of communication. It's, it's a, it's a silly thing that humans do, but we've done it since, time memorial. So anyway, it's, um, it was an interesting experience and, and perhaps this is what this reading is about is what exactly what actually it is about this, about what, what occurred after, uh, 
the atomic bomb. Yeah, I'm feeling from you saying that, it's like the deepest shadow of humanity. And it's so painful to go into because it's just so dark. And we keep fucking doing it. And we're about to do it again. Hmm. And I wonder, I was wondering if whether that's why she's coming through right now. It's like people remember like how bad this can be. Like you don't want to go there again. There's yeah. other ways to avoid it. Yeah. Because I don't think in the history of the world we've ever killed so many people at one time before. Have we? Has that ever happened? Um, I don't know how many people died in Japan, but I know, I think the biggest amount of World War II in Germany alone, I believe 20 million people died. Not in Germany, in German, German side has 20 million died, even more in Russia. So it's just that whole century. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's bloody. I just of... meant like a, in a, one event, like mm. one bomb or one. Oh, I see. Something. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. I think you're right. More people. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how that couldn't be. I mean, it wiped out two cities. Actually wiped out more than two cities, but two major cities. It's scary how much war has changed in a century. The capabilities, you yeah, mean? yeah. Like from the First World War, it's more like let's fight on the ground, mm-hmm. and then it's to the air, and then it's just like yeah, fly over and drop a bomb and ruin a whole country. Yeah, and even now I feel this holding in everyone of what could happen. I don't even want to tap into that. It's terrifying. What Just feeling like the potential of what could come. I'm too afraid to even. Reminds me of when I was in university. I did a um, presentation on God. What's his name? I'm gonna butcher it. That the guy who like predicted these things. He predicted like airplanes and atomic bombs. Nostradamus. No. Um. Oh my god! This is gonna annoy me so much. Edgar Casey. Oh, that's good. No, 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 it wasn't. Uh, Huxley. Yes. Really? I think it was Huxley. Oh, Aldous Huxley? Yes. Well, he was definitely in that module that I was learning about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, some guy, I'll find out after. Well, like in a brave new world? and Yeah. Just like, like logically figuring out where we were headed, you mean? Yeah. And like he predicted or like wrote about these he things. He also predicted the opposite. Have you read Island? No. So he wrote a book called um, Brave New World. Then he wrote a book called Island. An island is different. It's it's if people lived in a more spiritual way, and it's it's okay. it's, it's it's the opposite. So he wrote one on one end of the spectrum, another on the other end of the spectrum. Wow, I need to read that. I remember the title of our presentation. It, the title is something to do with like you damn fools, because he said something. We like are that. such damn fools. Yeah, yeah. We really are. I don't think we are. Okay, so I think... (laughs) We're behaving like fools. I think the damn fools are those that are in power. I think the majority of the world, 90 to 95% of the world, want peace, want happiness, want roof over their their heads, help their neighbors, um, get along. I mean, yeah, there's little squabbles here and there, but it doesn't go go to every time, like, I'm going to kill you. Um, But it's... I think if... (laughs) I think people in power are power hungry and they want to get certain things done in certain ways. So um, I just think that's that's my thoughts on it. I'm probably incorrect. No, I agree. I feel like the fools are the people in charge because they're the ones directing it. But I'm just so intrigued now by you saying this other story that he wrote. I need to read that. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. Because it's like someone who predicted the darkness perhaps also predicted the light. And I feel like we need some of that in this reading because it's like 
So all these people that were here and are in the spirit world and have a different perspective on our world, what do they see? Like, what do they see happening here? Okay. And what good, are solutions? Good question. Very good <laughs> question. Okay. I feel like this is tapping into the collective of people who've died from these kinds of things. But also I feel there's a need to connect to that on a soul level. Um, I know people have different beliefs on whether you you know going into that life that you're going to die in this way and therefore mm. you're just like a, a martyr or it's for the greater good. And some people are like, no, that's just not... I don't know where I stand on that and I don't want to go into that now. But it feels like there's a message that needs to come from people the energy, the soul energy of people who've died in that way, of like what the lessons are there hmm. from mass atrocities. And even when I was tuning into that room full of people from the atomic bombs, I was also thinking of like World War Two and the Holocaust and other huge genocides and things. Like there are just so many people and that's scary. Like that room can just keep expanding and expanding and people keep popping up all ages, all genders, all races. So what do they have to say? I want to say like they're people frozen in time. That keeps coming to me. It's like no matter what anyone does, these things still exist and we can't keep ignoring them. Have you ever read the book Journey of Souls? Oh my God. Why does that sound so familiar? Um, what's his name? Who wrote it? Yeah. I was looking him up. Oh, I have that I forget book. Now. I get him mixed up with Brian Weiss. He's not that guy. It's the other one. Yeah. Oh, Michael Newton. Yes. yes. Yes, Michael Newton. Yeah. I've read Destiny of Souls. I read it at the beginning of this year. Oh my God. Is that his second one? Right after Journey? There's three of them that he wrote. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is I so interesting. It. Because um, when you said about how there's like this collective agreement and, and so at one point, because he interviews, so this guy wrote this book because he was a hypnotherapist and... Um, he was, I mean, a lot of hypnotherapists go into past life regressions. Dolores Cannon, yeah. Yeah, so many. And I just think it's so funny that nobody is like, well, hey, wait a second. What does this mean? Like, it happens, everybody talks about their past lives and nobody's like, what are the greater implications of this? It's just like, oh yeah, that's a thing. But he found a way to go even back further where one of his patients started talking about the life between their lives mm. when they were choosing their next life and what happens after and then he became really intrigued by that and then over the next 20 years started keeping all these transcripts from the different sessions that he did and getting them back to this place that was between their lives um, so which is basically like our true home I suppose and then we go on these little adventures like taking trips to Hawaii instead we'll take a trip to earth for a lifetime you know and one thing that I remember one of the souls, because then he would write down what they would all comment. And then he would say, like, you know, in 80% of the cases, when you first die, this is what generally happens. You have some version of this, and then it goes to this, and then this, and this, you know, the review of your panel about your life and what you could have done better and all these things. But one person said that they were walking by and there was a whole bunch of souls in this big room having a briefing on the fact that they were all going to earth and were all going to die in some big natural disaster. And so it was a collective thing. They'd all volunteered for it. And they were like learning about, you know, what the lesson would be in them, for them, mm. in participating in this mm -hmm. event. So that's I, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I really um, agree with that. 
Yeah, it almost brings up there's, is there victimhood? Are there victims? Because mm -hmm. we seem to, um, what, what I've learned as sacred contracts, is we come in and with, you know, things that are going to happen to us, we've agreed upon. And then how do we, beyond the veil, this side of the veil, how do we navigate through it? And, and, do, and do, we, do we let it navigate our own lives or do, do we, or have, not label our own lives, but um, dictate. dictate our own lives or are, are we going to overcome them and, mm. and, you know, spread light on it, teach others how to overcome them? I mean, I think I, I agree with, with that. I think that we do come in with um, things that are going to happen to us. Predetermined. <laughs> Predetermined, yeah. Events. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, but I do think there's free will too. So um, I'm, I'm sure we have some things that we create or most things we create that we create during our lifetime here and not before we get here. I, but I'm as aloof and, and I don't know half the stuff I'm talking about. It's just thoughts. I had recent confirmation on that, actually. Um, I'm just thinking about like individual shadow and collective shadow. And if, yeah, I had someone in my family come through in a reading and it turns out that like the lesson, we had this soul contract, like it was his job to play that role for me, even though it wasn't very pleasant and it's been so hard to work through it. It was like he needed to be that person for me. Um, and I think if that can happen on an individual scale, then why can't it happen on a collective one? And maybe that's it. And it's, freaking devastating and that doesn't take away the pain from the people who have lost friends and family in that way but I remember reading that book well not Journey of Souls but his other one I think it was Destiny of Souls and it just helped me zoom out so much and not fret the little stuff so much mm. and seeing that like we do have these groups and these contracts and for some reason we picked this life and I, I agree with Brandon free will but I have really been questioning lately, like, how much control do we actually have over what plays out down here? I really don't know. Well, I think we have 100% control over our reactions to what, what plays out here. And, and instead of looking at them as um, troubles or, or, or even problems, we can look at them as challenges or um, just experiences. Um, I've not figured out how to do that, not, so don't that's, ask me how. That's a lesson, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, these things life. are going to happen. <laughs> how are you going to deal with them? Yeah. And that's where we can grow and all of that, become more aware. Okay, I'm going to tap back into those people and let them speak, because clearly we know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like I'm tapping into the that space of like soul energy, life between life, not... Um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like if they were to come through they'd all have their individual stories right, versus as a group popping up and taking up a room yeah so what does the collective energy want to say on this matter honestly it feels like they are the light like this whole room's been white they're, they're not coming up as people I could identify they're just like figures but I just know that they're different ages genders and races like a whole combination of people but the energy that they're coming with is like bright white light. And even though they were lost in the darkest of ways, it's that the humanity is the light in that darkness. It's less about the act that happened and more about the people that it affected. And it's the people that are the light and the, the act that's the darkness. 
and the energy behind that action. And I'm not saying here that the people who've played out um, these dark actions are light, but it's recognizing that they're humans too. Oh, I don't want to go down this road. Why not? I think I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going. Where do you think I'm going? Uh, I think you're going to go to that even those people had agreements to do these things to teach humanity. They agreed to be these dark, terrible people um, so we can see the opposite of that and how to come together and perhaps, I don't know if I'm even going in the right direction. Is that where you're that's, going? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going. I'm scared to go there because it's such a controversial topic. Um, and I don't know that that's true 100%. Mm-hmm. But what I'm feeling and seeing is that the darkness is the action and not about the people. It's like the the action is a projection of how far we've gone and we're going. Does that make sense? Down the wrong way? Yeah. So it's like, that's the point to look at. How did we get there? Why are we even creating these things that can cause that much damage? Because it went from fighting with stones to then making swords, then making guns and even more advanced guns and weaponry and tanks and planes and bombs and all this stuff. And it's just like... And now it's the biological warfare. Yeah. Because I was just reading something the other day where they're trying to stop them from playing with Ebola. Like they're playing with Ebola to try to see if they can make it airborne or like just more more contagious to humans somehow. I'm like, why? Well, yeah, that's um why you're getting into that? my you're getting into my world now. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's gain of function research which they're now changing the definition of the NIH, you know, this this is my world. I did this for a long time with my previous career. I wasn't a, a geneticist or anything like that, but I, I don't want to get into what I did, but um it was nothing bad. As a, as, as a research type of thing. And um, yeah, they're, they're developing, and they have for a long time. Even um, Barack Obama is looking at this gain-of-function research, and he's like, this is nuts. We're Why stopping are we doing this. this? And yeah. he stopped it, or did as much stopping <laughs> as was required on that bill, on that paper. And anyway, they're, they're, I don't know why they want to... Um, that's anyway, we're getting it's just human nature, yeah. right? And yeah. then but something that came up for me when you talked about this is I wonder if it's to help us as humans feel, you know, because when something awful, then we'll, we can feel a bit more. And then maybe that's the whole goal of it's mm. like, I yeah, don't know. I, hearing you say that, though, then I feel actually, I think all this is making us even more detached from our emotions because it's getting worse and worse. It's like therefore there's more and more to feel and we don't want so we check out yeah and then that just allows stuff to happen and i see that in a lot of the world's population that they're just so shut down and they do what they're told not because they're lazy or they're gullible or stupid it's out of fear it's safer to like be controlled and be told what to do because if they were to speak out and say that something's wrong then that means they have to face those emotions within themselves. And we're not that equipped anymore. Very few of us are equipped to actually feel our emotions. And even people in the spiritual community here, I see them bypassing their emotions all the time. Mm-hmm. And that is the point of being human, is freaking feeling everything. 
and these events I feel like they get us to feel and then I kind of feel angry and sad for all these people that have died in this way and we're still doing it because we haven't allowed ourselves to stop and feel the atrocities and the impact of everything that's happened and I see them there like they're not even they're not even angry or like what are you doing it's just they're almost standing there like praying for peace that's what I see they're just trying to shine their light as bright as they can in the hopes that we see it and I do feel that more and more people are seeing it but it's I don't know if it's enough (laughs) I I think we're gonna wake up I think um peace though slowly is Mm. eventually going to come will there be light just like shone down yeah (laughs) that's right the light will there be another nuclear bomb dropped soon can I give my thing on that yeah please I want to hear it okay sorry sorry um well, I'm very much with the free will camp on this. Um, so I don't ever think the future is written in stone. I don't know. Obviously, I want to say no. What do they think? Okay, yeah, let's not think about me. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, do you know what? I don't, I don't feel there will be. But, they, I mean, they could. Yeah, free will. But there's something in, like, if anyone did that now... The repercussions, you already see the, I mean, are they even real, but the repercussions of, like, on Russia for the war in Ukraine, it will be one against the rest of the world. I just think that that? as a global community, we are way more almost capable or in the space to do it now than we ever were because people are so disconnected from other people that it is just... Like watching a movie, you yeah. know? You just killed a million people over there. Haha. Ha. I mean I can I can just see the thinking. And and not thinking about, oh, what's the even like what's the very next thing after that? Like it's more like we just want to do this because we can versus what would come after that? What would that look like? Oh shit, we better not do it. I don't even think they go that far. Well it it feels like with the Second World War that that was kind of it feels like a fumbling energy doesn't really feel like it was well thought through Mm. and that was proof of like oh shit we shouldn't have done that even though japan surrendered very shortly after which is the outcome they wanted it just feels like immature messing around it is yeah whereas now if it were to happen it would feel way more like calculated because we've seen what one does whereas then they i guess they hadn't and maybe they didn't know how bad it would be then they did another one i don't know hmm. what were you gonna say brandon another day. um we've talked about this before but i used to co-host near-death experience groups and we'd have these discussions of what they were told um while they're on the other side um, before they came back and one thing is for sure that nothing is set in stone that's one message that i kept hearing nothing is set in stone as human consciousness changes, so does the possibility of the future. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was friends with one of them that was very accurate with the prediction she was shown. And those started to slightly change for the better. And she, when I met her, she was in the kind of spirit of being kind of down about what was going to happen because she was shown multiple nuclear wars and she was shown where and... 
um, how the earth would change because of it. But she was also given kind of a date and a timeline and it passed that and it didn't happen, but she was still very worried and nervous about it. And she had known that I'm really good with, for some reason, I'm really good with my dreams. And if somebody asks me a question, um, I'll ask that question before I go to sleep and then I'll get the answer in my dreams. And so she was like, oh, why don't I just ask you if we're going to have a nuclear war? Uh, so I went to sleep that night. I remember I, I slept in, in a room that I, I, I tend to have. It seems like this room, is, it's kind of empty and this room is more clear, if that makes any sense. And I woke up with a definite no, that we would not have another nuclear war, that that's kind of off the table now, even though it's still spoken about, even though it's still in in the light of the media. But this is in literally 2013 when I asked, and, and that we are um, evolving and we'll get past this. And so I told her and she was like over the moon. It really helped her. But anyway, is that's that's the message I got. Again, it's just a dream. I don't know if it's real. Um, and you're you're making faces over there. What's yeah. yeah. No, I'm just like so much <laughs> is coming through now. I'm like, mm. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with you there. And what I was seeing is like the nuclear threat is so prominent that it feels like it's hiding the new way of war. Like people are still waiting for that to happen, and I don't think it will. Because, like I said, we've seen how bad it was. So if anyone did it, it would just be unforgivable. But now it's like the darkness is trying to seep in in a different way. In wait, because people see that, they know that, they've seen what it does. But there are other, I'm not going to say it's biological. Yeah, biological warfare is like the new way of doing it because most people haven't really caught on to that yet. And then once, hopefully not, but once we find out that that's happened, like we saw the impact of the bomb then maybe there'll be a new avenue. It's like, keep trying to find ways for the darkness to slip in until hopefully there's no space for it. But then, again, real existential here, what would then be the point in Earth if it's healed? Yeah, Earth as a school is what those near-death experiencers yeah. told me. It is. It's not just for the human race, too. After the human race, another race comes in and learns on this planet. Before us was another race. Cool. I mean, the lizard people? <laughs> no, no, I mean, you, you've, you've got over 30 different um, subspecies of humans, hominids, and, you know, like the Homo erectus, we've talked about this before, and, and they were around for thousands of years, and this other group was around. I mean, like, Homo sapiens before us was around for over 40,000 years. We're Homo sapiens sapiens, so we're... We're, we're perfect avatars. We're very malleable. I mean, that's Journey of Souls talks yeah. about that a lot too, right? It's like, oh yeah, we like these human beings. They're perfect for what we're trying to do. So yeah, that's another question I have maybe for a future episode is they say they don't understand how all of a sudden it seems like there was this huge jump in consciousness of human beings and, um, or homo sapiens. Are you talking about like 70,000 years ago? Yeah, well, wherever there was like, I don't know how many years ago it was. Oh, okay. You're the details guy. I don't remember <laughs> so clearly. But yeah, where there was like a jump and they can't explain how they went from like basically animals to conscious beings. And then I was wondering, is that when, you know, the spiritual decided to start coming to earth and experimenting? You know, is that what elevated the human consciousness? Or was it because they discovered magic mushrooms? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That would be a fun episode. So one aspect of the near-death experience predictions that really helped was 
after this major hump that we're in and we're in currently in it, the other side is magical. It's heaven on earth. One thing my friend said was what will happen is that there's these people called the chicken hawks and um, there are these people called the doves and the doves will turn their backs on the chicken hawks. So right now the doves are feeding the chicken hawks, even fighting them as feeding them. And when we turn our backs on them, this even includes the military who are, who are the doves. Um, if we, when we turn our backs to the, the about 1,000 leaders that control everything um, and give them no more energy, they have no more power. And that is eventually what's going to happen is what they relayed to me and my friend relayed to me. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I see that happening. It's already starting. Every yeah. day there's more and more people just saying, I don't, I'm not buying into this bullshit anymore. So I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is on that, but it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't right. I feel like we really need to acknowledge all the people who've showed up today. Thank you. And it feels like in their memory, it's like we need to find our own ways to vow not to do that. Like even in our own lives, on the micro, just like how can we not contribute to that? And everyone who's, who's come through, I feel like they're at peace now. Okay, any final words from them? Do you know what? They haven't even said that much. They're just like shining a light. Mm -hmm. They're just like a hum of energy, really. And the light's coming through again. There's something there, though. What is it? It's this feeling of like you can't delete us. You can't run from the darkness. And they're going to stand there for the rest of time shining a light on that because that's their role. And many of them are probably reincarnated again. And it sounded like you were saying that a lot of these figures were, it wasn't just from the bombings in Japan, it was mm -hmm. from like all the people throughout time that have just been yeah. sacrificing these kinds of... And we just accessed it through mm -hmm. the bombs in Japan, yeah. Well, think of how many millions of men have been sent off to fight wars they had nothing to do with and died. Yeah, so just a big thank you to Spirit for coming through and acknowledging their pain as well, because on a soul level, they'll always be fine, but and that reality they lived in on Earth was horrible. You bet. And it's important to acknowledge that. Like, they had no choice but to feel the pain. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's just made me, re like, think about my grandparents and wondering what their experience was being alive when their country was bombed. Like, they, were, they were in, in the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, now I'm, like, in my head of... Why didn't they come through? And I'm wondering if that would just be too much. Like it's well, they weren't too close to home. In the location. But having someone that you know who lives through it. Do you know where they were? I think, well, the family home was in Tokyo. And I know that it got burnt down um, during, because Tokyo caught fire. When my mother was born, she was born up in the very north in Sapporo in 1944. So I think they'd gone, my grandfather was at medical school, I think, up there. But his family's from Tokyo. So yeah, I don't, I don't know where they were exactly. But I'm just curious. I, I'm, my mother probably knows. I want to ask her. Yeah, or if she knows any stories of what they told her about what happened. Mm -hmm. How they felt. be interesting to know if they spoke about it or if it's something people just didn't mention. I don't think the culture in general is big on sharing feelings. And both my grandparents were in the war and they didn't talk about it at all. My grandparents, my grand, I should say grandfathers were in the war. My grandmas, they told me 
kind of the little things that they had mentioned, but I, I couldn't get much from them. Hmm. So I'm just war altogether is just, it's, it's damaging. And then those people have children and they're emotionally cut off because they learn from their parents. It's time to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty Thank you. heavy. Yeah, yeah, heavy and not at all what I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's a thing we just never know. I like that though. Yeah. I like I how it usually turns into some like existential conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really beautiful. And the last one about Japan was similar, wasn't it? Yeah. And now we have it recorded. Yay. So I think that's probably <laughs> why. It's like another very off very similar version. Yeah. Of what like came people through that to know that. Yeah, people forget about Japan now, especially since like, you know, they've been in a bit of an economic hole for a few decades now. Um because it was big deal Japan back in the 80s, right? Like they were the top of the world in the, the business and how much money they were making and all that stuff. And then it all fell apart. And then now they're just kind of this quiet country. The reason why my dad told me to get to learn Japanese. So I learned Japanese from high school to college and took many years of that and also lived in Japan. But he told me, because my dad's a business owner, he said, they're the ones who are top of the business world. And this is the early 90s. Yeah. And so I, that's, that's why I went into Japanese class. And, and not because I wanted to learn business or, or get into their business world. I just did what my dad told me to do. So. <laughs> and now it's everyone learn Chinese. Yeah. 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 That would be very helpful. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both of you. And we will thank you all for listening. And we will, we will meet again at the next episode. In the beginning of the podcast, we mentioned that there is going to be an outro, and um, here it is now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on the episode because there seemed to be a lot of unanswered questions that came up, especially around, um, you know, my family and this woman that Victoria brought through that's supposed to be related to me, and obviously I, I... did not know enough about my family and it turns out I got sort of some details wrong. I mixed up my great-grandmother with my great-great-grandmother and um, so I just wanted to clarify some of those points for the listeners and also, um, yeah, just thought some of the details that uh, about my family and their experience during World War II would be interesting for all of you. Yeah, at the beginning, Victoria brings through this older lady or I guess, no, she said she was in her 40s, but that she died when she was about 80. And I didn't know who it was, and she and it was supposed to be a relative of mine. And, I, and she said, oh, she's really beautiful. And I know that my mother has spoken a lot about, um, you know, one of the great-grandmothers who was very famous for being so beautiful. And I've seen photos of her and everything. But I thought this was my great-grandmother, but it's actually my great-great-grandmother. It's my mother's great-grandmother who was the beautiful one. And so there's some confusion there. And Victoria said that she was well-traveled. And then I, and I knew that my great-grandmother had come to North America once. So I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But actually my great-great-grandmother, so now we're talking, I think, in the 1800s, because my grandmother was born in 1920. So this is like in the 1800s. My great-great-grandmother also had gone to Europe, which I think was really unusual for Japanese. Especially that time period. Yeah, back in that time period. So um, that actually all lined up, and I think that the woman that she was speaking about was my (laughs) great-great-grandmother. So to clarify that, and I did ask my 
uh, my mother about where my grandparents had been during when the bombs actually fell in Japan. So um, my grandfather had been a medical student up in Sapporo in northern Japan. Sapporo. And so they were all up there when that happened. And my grandfather's father, so my great-grandfather, who I never met, uh, was a, a doctor. And I, I guess he was quite wealthy. So they, he owned a hospital. And, wow. Um, but they lost everything during the war and the firebombings that happened in Tokyo. And mm -hmm. so their family home burnt down. And I guess my, my great-grandfather... Uh, had his wits about him enough to go and grab all the the share certificates because it was all like paper share certificates how people held wealth and he put this all in a briefcase but then he was all dazed and a bit confused and at some point I guess he put down this briefcase and left it and oh. never found it again and they were destitute after that and ended up having to live with the different family oh, members wow. After that, and the hospital burnt down, like everything was gone for them. So they, they, I think, really struggled. And both of them only lived about five or six years after the war oh, okay. was ended. Um, and another interesting tidbit was that my grandmother was an only child. And so she ended up with all these really beautiful kimonos. Because in Japan, it's almost like a form of currency. And it's these things that are handed down, like family heirlooms, these like amazingly constructed kimonos. And during the war, how a lot of people survived is they would trade goods to the farmers. And so a lot of farmers ended up with all these really nice kimono. And that's how mm. my family, my grandmother's family survived was by trading all these different kimono that they had okay. for food. So that was, I thought, really interesting hearing about that from my mother. And I wanted to share it with all of you. Yeah.